Welcome to Road to Consensus, the podcast designed to help you get smart before Consensus 2019. Here we'll feature speakers past and present who are behind the stories and trends moving this industry forward. I'm joined today by Suzanne Livingston, working with the IBM Food Trust, a unique development in the blockchains and cryptocurrency world in that it is a live platform, uh, not a pilot, really flying uh, on its own wings. And it has been, I guess, since about October, if I'm right, Suzanne. You got it. We launched it into the public world in October, and we had been in pilot for uh, about a year and a half before that. And so the food trust itself was in pilot about a year and a half before that. That's correct. Excellent. And the food trust as a platform itself is the result of some pretty deep knowledge that IBM has built over the years and several other pilots that have been run, I suppose, since about 2014, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, that's right. IBM has a number of projects um, in uh, blockchain uh, outside of food, of course. And we also have our food blockchain that's focused on traceability. But it, uh, there's a lot of work that's been done before with payments, with supply chain, with many other use cases before food. I remember seeing a YouTube video, I think in around 2015, about IBM's work on the Shadow Chain, which was a, a pilot to test conflict resolution within the trade finance space. So this is sort of the other angle of that. This is really about the movement of goods, not the movement of money. Your platform, as it is right now, really is about the movement of goods and food in particular. That's correct. That's correct. So uh, there's certainly a lot of um, awareness about work in the money space. But IBM had looked at the blockchain model, uh, IBM Research, and had said, can we use this blockchain model to solve problems that are in other parts of industries besides finance and payments? And one of the, the nuances of blockchain is that it allows parties who don't necessarily trust each other to share value and share data. So we applied that model to supply chain and came to a, a client of ours who had some challenges in their supply chain. And together, uh, we applied food trust as a way to bridge a number of companies who would not necessarily share data with each other uh, to get to a place where they would so that we could see end-to-end traceability in a food supply chain. And that work was done with our partner, Walmart, who uh, was the first to work with us on Food Trust and also helped bring on board a number of other global food companies um, to design and to build the system with us. And, and that, if I remember, was back to the, the original pork shipments and movements in China. Uh, is that the same project? It is. So uh, our pilot started with pork in China, and also we had another leg of the pilot that was in Mexico with uh, mangoes. And the uh, really interesting uh, pilot uh, outcome that we were looking to get was, could we get a number of participants to share data and be able to form a trace using a blockchain system? And so um, our, our sponsors at Walmart told us and worked with us on how long it took them to trace back some of those products that we piloted with, one of them being mangoes. 
and it took almost seven days for them to trace it back manually. That's because there's so much paper in the system and there's so many points where there's food exchanged and the traceability gets lost. So when we converted that to digital and digital transactions that got sent into our blockchain system, we were able to perform that same trace in, at the time, it took 2.2 seconds. Uh, and that was looking across all of the data that we had, forming the connections and showing back that trace. So that pilot was successful. Um, we ended up bringing on board a number of companies who were attracted to solving that same problem in their uh, company and in the industry. And that that is where we founded a number of, of companies who served as our client educators, our client sponsors. They helped IBM shape what IBM Food Trust is today. Uh, we had the technology and they had the insight on the industry. And then that's what we launched in October. And, and so those conversations that you had learning from those partners and solving those problems, that was what you guys spent the time, the, the time working on to graduate from a, a proof of concept and a pilot into this live product. But what else did you guys have to do to make that happen? So we see that building an ecosystem was a big part of it, but also aligning the incentives of all of these parties so that the, everyone was on the same page to contribute in the same direction must have been a big challenge. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the, the technology part of it was probably one of the easier ends of it. You know, if, if a client tells us, you know, their requirements in terms of the tech and the data, that's an easy problem for us to solve. We just go do it. But when it came to building a governance model that companies who are competitors would be willing to share data in an environment like that, um, we had to build a governance model. We had to integrate with standards that were prevalent in the industry like GS1, where that enabled companies to have a level of comfort that if they're using our system, they can also use the data with other systems that also adopt GS1. And so just to back up, GS1 is what exactly? Ah, okay. So GS1 is uh, the, the, the global standard in the food industry. It's also in the pharmaceutical industry. And it provides companies with ways to, you know, you probably are most familiar with it from looking at barcodes. Mm -hmm. um, but also it goes beyond barcodes. It has common descriptors for uh, terminology and exchanges of goods um, and exchanges of products. It's also a registry of all finished goods products, uh, what we call GTINs. Um, it also describes what are the key events that need to be tracked in a, an exchange of goods. So, you know, common formats for things like purchase orders, the fact that I shipped you something, uh, the fact that you received it, those all described the same way, common terminology there. And then they also have a number of what's called um, EPSIS events. And these events tell us what's happening to food in the food system. And those are really important because let's say you're buying a case of those mangoes I was referring to earlier, but then you go and uh, as a processor, you chop those mangoes up and you package them into uh, um, uh, packages that your consumers are going to buy. Like, like uh, a dried mango package. 
Exactly. Or a, a container of fresh mango too. Each of these steps needs to be recorded so that way we can keep track of the trays. So everyone who's handling it has to have some kind of, produces some record of, of that touching their, their hands. Exactly. And that's what helps us understand end to end when we talk about farm to fork, all the way from the source ingredient through to the consumer, every change that has happened, every transformation is the word that's used in GS1, um, every aggregation or disaggregation of goods, all of that uh, needs to be tracked in a, in a traceability system so that we can see it end to end. And when you say end to end, do you mean that so in the previous way of doing things, you would sort of track that GS1 from each individual party. And once you find one, then you can find the next one, the previous one, the previous one. Your platform actually cuts that down and is able to give, a, I guess, a bird's eye view of everyone who's ever touched it. And you can access that person immediately. Is that how I'm, I'm, I'm understanding it? That's exactly right. And, and as each party is submitting data into our system, we match them and say, this is how these, this transaction is linked to another transaction. And once we have enough of those linked transactions, we can show you end to end where the food product has been in the supply chain. Maybe a, a, an example I can give you that's more concrete. Just this week, two of our companies, uh, Carrefour and Nestle, uh, showed a, a, a launch to actually a consumer app that a consumer can go into a store and scan one of Nestle's food products in France. That's a, a French product. Um, and consumers really care that the ingredients of that product are from uh, within France. And so with that, they scan a food product's label and then they see every point along the supply chain all the way back to, in this case, potato farmers. And this is a common use case. A lot of companies who have touch points with consumers want to give them that visibility and give them that access to information. So your platform really does have a focus on that, let's say, recall aspect right now anyway. That's one of the capabilities that you guys have highlighted, the safety of the uh, food system. And I wonder, many of your competitors, because you're certainly not the only one in the industry who is who is trying to implement this. You guys are the only one that's live. There are others that are piloting this stuff. But it seems to me that there's an abundance of companies out there looking at the luxury market. What had you guys focused on Carrefour products and Nestle products and, and romaine lettuce from Walmart? What made you guys decide that, okay, you know, maybe we're not going to pilot all of this and spearhead this technology with luxury products, but we're going to go and look at just the common everyday products that everyone is consuming? Uh, well, I, I'll agree with you to a point. I think there's um, certainly a lot of products that in luxury or in high value goods that, you know, there's blockchain systems that are being uh, networks that are being created for. Uh, the food industry has had a significant challenge uh, in on it in terms of food safety, um, food waste, food fraud, um, inefficiencies in the supply chain. And, and if you remember uh, back to 2006, uh, there was a spinach outbreak in the U.S. Uh, and that spinach outbreak caused a number of deaths and a number of sicknesses. And it really came down to uh, one farm, one lot of product. Well, every single time we have a recall of products, the stores respond by removing all products of that category in many cases. And that's a significant amount of loss, not just to the retailer, but also to the 
provider, the supplier, but and also to the consumer. Now the consumers, you know, if we had a way to know that the products that are affected have been removed from the shelves of stores and aren't in our aren't a danger to us, they would be more willing to buy uh, those food products. So we end up having a lot of waste in our system because of these types of events. That's really where this started. So the food safety team at Walmart um, under uh, Frank Yanis, who is now at the uh, FDA, uh, really was his vision to utilize blockchain in this capacity for food safety. And what we learned from our work is that, you know, with um, with the ability to support recalls, we were gathering intelligence about the food system in general. So we were gathering information about inventory, about um, freshness, about where goods were coming from, the authenticity of it. And that applies to a lot of use cases in food where, say you're a supply chain manager, you really want to know that your, your process is as efficient as it can be. You're using the products that um, need to be used at the right times, and also that you're you know, not experiencing waste because of freshness or time time issues. Would, would you say another one would have been, you know, maybe in, in the spinach example that you just gave, it made me think that perhaps small farmers would be on the sidelines because it made more sense for Walmart to contract with very large farms where they can, in one move, help isolate what a product when a product's been recalled. But now this sort of levels the playing field where they can now look at all these different uh, smaller farms and perhaps have a bit of um, competition between them to supply some of these larger uh, merchants. Well, not necessarily. So one of the, the, the things that we got back from our advisory council or those group of customers that I uh, shared with you before was how important it is to ensure privacy in the system. So for example, let's say um, I have a secret recipe and I don't want my competitor to know what are the ingredients that goes into my secret recipe. Where I got my chocolate, for example. Exactly. So we built in, um, and, and this I think is not as prevalent in other blockchain systems, but we built in a deeper level of access control on the transactions so that only those who have explicit access or have been granted linked access can see the data end to end. However, in the event of, let's say, a, an emergency, we can open up that data by their permission. So, you know, you've got Nestle now, say, Cadbury or another chocolate company would join. They would be able to see, if you didn't put that two-tier, they would be able to see trade secrets, basically. They would know where X product is coming from, perhaps even what the unit costs, what the capacity of that distributor is. And that is not something people are necessarily willing to share. And you've found a way to get around that. Exactly. So in a, in a public blockchain system where all the transactions are visible, we really needed to work with a, a, a set of data that companies felt they could share, but not with their competitors, only with those parties that, they, that needed to know. And that's what we built with their guidance, and that's what's supporting this ecosystem today. And is that based on some cryptographic solutions, some zero-knowledge proofs, or is it really just a, an abstracted layer with permissions, and, and, and then the user really just has to have the right uh, authentication in order to be authorized to go in there? Uh, so it starts with um, permissions. 
So I can grant which companies I want to see my data uh, based on the transactions I'm sending in. And then it goes into, um, uh, gets to a level of encryption so that only those companies can decrypt it uh, with the right keys. And then we are, um, uh, we also support zero knowledge proofs for things like smart contracts. Um, so that way companies who are doing business with each other are able to, um, you know, conduct their transaction uh, without ne necessarily needing to know more information about them. So we support all, all of those levels. Which is, which is important because you have to have competitors on the same platform in order for it to function. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And with that in mind, you guys did put a certain amount of, of thought into uh, how people can use this program. Because as I understand, some platforms have had a certain failure to launch a little bit like uh, medical, digital medical records, I think, would put that in context, where a lot of hospitals were reluctant to join a digital records uh, system because they didn't know if costs would ever be raised, then they would be stuck with it, so they didn't want to have a sole provider. So it's really stopped a lot of the networks from forming what we call the holdup problem in economics, something that we're going to be touching on at Consensus in May, where we have several Nobel Prize uh, economists that will be talking specifically about how blockchains can help uh, solve this problem. Um, but you guys put a lot of thought into the different modules that you have to allow all of these different parties to be able to use this network simply to their benefit. They're not tied to it. They're not bound by it afterwards, but they can use this in the way that they see fit. Um, and if you could describe a bit of those modules and whether what I said was was actually true, I'm, I'm certainly putting words in your mouth right now. But if that's something that went on inside where you, you had that idea of creating these modules, allowing all these different parties to use the platform in a way that was beneficial to them. Exactly right. So to, to a farm versus a CPG company versus a consumer, they have different ways that they want to interact with this data. Um, and so we had to support those use cases. Uh, however, it's all the same data. So it was on us to come up with ways to generate insights on that data and deliver them back to clients. And not only are we doing that with things like our traceability module, our certifications uh, app, our fresh insights app, but we're also allowing third parties, um, partnerships, uh, ecosystem participants to build their own apps on top of our data. Like, like the, the Nestle and Carrefour ones you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. So they're taking our, our APIs and they're creating their own mobile apps. We have another company who supplies uh, beef patties to um, uh, uh, quick serve restaurants. And they built their own uh, UI for the restaurants and stores so that they can do a better job with inventory management and placement. And that allows them to use things really quickly so that they are reducing food waste. So there's a number of ways you can extend what we've built for custom use cases. So the producers are, are using this to create apps. Are we going to see this at the consumer? Not, I mean, so the consumer is seeing it from the producer. Are we going to see this at the restaurant level? Are we going to be able to see using this technology a picture of the farm where the beef patty came from? If we go to, let's say, McDonald's and 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 uh, have the app, we'll be able to see that kind of thing uh, in the near term? That's what restaurants want to do now. And that's what they're coming on board into food trust to do. So they want to give consumers in the restaurants a way to know where their food products are coming from. 
And and so your approach seems to be successful. You guys have onboarded an extraordinary list of companies. Can you give an update on how that's going and some of the brand names that you've uh, attracted? Yeah, happy to. Um, so we're currently at over 80 companies. Uh, we've had very public uh, awareness of Walmart from the beginning. They've, uh, as I mentioned, they were the spearhead with us. Also, GSF has been public about their use of IBM Food Trust and what they're trying to accomplish with um, inventory management and freshness. Other companies who have shared publicly are companies like Dole, Nestle, as I mentioned earlier, Carrefour in Europe. Um, Albertsons just mentioned uh, last week they're joining Food Trust and will also work with leafy green produce suppliers as their uh, first product category to onboard. Um, and we have more who have joined who will also be, you know, either making public announcements or sharing the work that they plan to do with Food Trust in the future. So really exciting. We have a, you know, a number of the U.S. retail market. We have traction in Europe, and I think we're going to see a lot more expansion, especially as more consumer applications are generated off this data. And has the approach of onboarding these companies really followed the formula of, let's take Walmart, for example, let's start with Leafy Greens, and then we'll see how it goes, and they're going to pilot one product category, and they graduate? That's the pattern I'm seeing. Um, There are many times a company wants to start with either a product category that's high risk, or one where they know there's consumer demand for that type of traceability information. And that that's the, the path I've been seeing. Now, of course, companies will come in and do other product areas based on their own needs. But from a consumer standpoint, you know, absolutely drives uh, the first product categories that come on board. And produce has been a huge one, especially here in the US where we've had a number of outbreaks and consumers don't have the trust in the food system that we're trying to rebuild. Moving back to this idea quickly of, I, I guess you could say luxury goods, but you know, organic food, for example, you also have a certification capacity within this platform to help authenticate or verify the various certification authorities that are out there. So that organic is not just an image file thrown onto packaging, so that there's actually some degree of substance to the claims of, of, of being organic or uh, whatever other designation it is. Are you seeing a lot of these partners use those as their testing products? Absolutely, yes. And some are going so far as to share those certifications to consumers as well. So now imagine not only do you see the trace where it's been and where it's gone in the supply chain, but also here's the the certificate of proof that it is organic. Here's the date that it was received on. Um, here's when it expires. Um, that type of information, because there is there is a need to increase trust in food, and the the certifications that are in the system today aren't always transparent. They're not even transparent among the business transaction parties. So that's a level that we're able to uh, build is giving that transparency to the companies and also to consumers. And and hopefully we see that on the consumer side shortly, where we know where our various stuff comes from, and we can actually see the farmer's face on our phone when we go and buy it. That's what we're working on. Well, thanks a ton for your time today, Suzanne. Uh, I think I learned a, a lot about what's going on there because I was uh, still under the impression that a lot of this stuff was in you know pilot purgatory. 
But congratulations on launching uh, an ambitious, large project that has managed to go live and actually have uh, volumes of, of material goods being uh, exchanged on it. So congratulations and uh, can't wait to share this podcast with our audience. Thank you so much for having me and the team uh, behind this is very uh, grateful for uh, those comments. So thank you. Terrific. Thanks a lot. If you enjoyed the content, you can get a lot more of it if you register for Consensus at Consensus2019.com. Listeners can also use the code ROW200 and get $200 off a ticket. See you at Consensus May 13th to 15th in New York City.